Amen. I'll invite you guys to take your Bibles and turn with me for our scripture reading for our sermon text today. We're continuing in our series in Luke chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 32 to 36. The gospel according to Luke chapter 6, and we'll look together this morning at verses 32 through 36. And I'll invite you to please stand with me as we read Holy Scripture. This is God's holy word for us, his people, and these are the words of our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Jesus says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let's ask Him to bless this word today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your Son not just to die for us, to redeem us, and to rise again from the dead, but you gave him a mission to accomplish, a task to complete on the way to the cross. And that was opening up his mouth and revealing the inner depths of who you are, showing us by his word, life, teaching, and example, through his mighty works and his perfect character, exactly who you are exactly who you are for us. And I pray that you would bless the reading of this word and that you would bless especially the preaching of this word and write your truth upon our hearts and stamp it upon our lives so that we can go from this place knowing we have met with you, we've heard from you, and it didn't leave us the same as when we came in this morning. Do that for me and for all of us, we plead in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There are lots of different ways to divide up the world into two groups. You have the happy and the unhappy. You have the athletic, the unathletic. Those who are happy with their NCAA brackets and those who are not happy with their NCAA brackets. Those who are Presbyterians and those who are wrong. There are lots of ways to carve up the world into two different groups. But perhaps the most profound comes from a man named Victor 
Frankel, an Austrian neurologist, psychiatrist, and philosopher in the 20th century. Frankel has a difficult story. He and his wife and his brother and parents were sent to a concentration camp in 1942 in Austria, nine months after he was married. Frankel's father was the first to die. He died of starvation and pneumonia. In 1944, he and his family were transported to Auschwitz, where his mother and brother were murdered in gas chambers. He and his uh, he and his wife were later sent to another camp, where his wife died of typhus. Altogether. Victor Frankl spent three years in four different concentration camps, the only survivor in his family. And it was out of this experience that he wrote the best-selling book, Man's Search for Meaning. And he was interviewed after the war, and he went on to have a very illustrious career uh, as a medical professional, psychiatrist, philosopher, after this, and lived to an old age. Shortly after the war, he was interviewed, and he was asked this question, and it was phrased very specifically. He was asked the question, do you hate the German race? Do you hate the German race? And he said, no, because there are really only two races of men, the decent and the indecent. He didn't hate the people who were in charge of those death camps because they were German, because being German had nothing to do with it. There are decent Germans and indecent Germans. There are decent Americans and indecent Americans. These were indecent people who happened to be German. He did not hate Germans. But did Frankel, as, as amazing as that is, that he would come out of that experience and not have a hatred of the German people. Did Frankel, however, hate the indecent people who happened to be Germans who were running those camps? I don't know. Maybe he did. And we certainly could all sympathize with him if he did. We probably would too. It's relatively easy to love the decent but loving indecent people is naturally revolting to us. Especially if the indecent are particularly evil. In our passage this morning, Jesus is calling us to a higher love. Jesus teaches us the ethics of the kingdom of God. And the heart of the kingdom ethic is love. Love not only for our friends and family. Love not only for the nice. Not only for the lovely and the pleasant. But love especially for the indecent, the enemy, the offensive, the repugnant. In verses 32 through 34, Jesus brings out the contrast between loving our friends and loving our foes. 
In verse 35, he defines the kind of love we are commanded to have for all people, even our enemies. And finally, in verse 36, Jesus points us to the heavenly Father, the divine source of this kind of love. For he knows all too well that we do not have the resources in ourselves for such love. We need the very love of God in us in order to love like the kingdom of God requires. So let us begin with verses 32 through 34. And let's look first at the contrast Jesus makes between loving our friends and loving our foes. Look with me again at 32 through 34. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, and I'll paraphrase here, big deal. And you want a pat on the back? You want a cookie? Gold star? If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? So what? <laughs> For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who, are, who do good to you, and what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, well, what credit's that to you? Sinners do that. They lend to each other in order to get a return on their, on their loan. In these three verses, Jesus gives us, he summarizes for us, three expressions of love. And the first here is the word he actually uses for love. If you love those who love you. And the Greek word behind that is the word you've probably heard before, agape. Agape, love. Agape, love can mean several things in different contexts, but its basic understanding, its basic definition is this. Agape love is the kind of love that does this. It is a selfless desire for the well-being and flourishing of another person. A desire that overflows in being good to and doing good by another person. In verse 27, Jesus says, I say to you who hear, those of you who are listening, those of you who are paying attention, he means, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Now there, Jesus uses a phrase. He, he says, well do, if you want to do it very literally, well do, act well, do goodly, if you want to say it that way. Act well towards another. Do well by another person. And what does that mean? It means verse 31. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Do unto others as you would be done by. Wish well and do well to others, is what Jesus says. That's what he has in mind when he uses this word, love, there in verse 32. That's the first expression of love he gives in these three verses. There's a second one in verse, uh, in the next verse, verse 33. He says, if you do good, do good. Now, there's a difference here. Remember I just said, back in verse 27, do good was a phrase. Act goodly, do well by. Here, it's not that same phrase. It's, it's one word in Greek. It's similar, but it's, it's a bit different. It's a different word in Greek than in verse 27. 
Here, the word do good, this word is what a benefactor does for a charitable cause. It means be beneficent or give gifts of kindness and charity. Be a benefit and a help to others. Do good to them. And then the third expression of love is, the, the la, is in verse 34. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive. Lending. Lend. Let someone borrow from you. Give someone money or a possession, an object. Lend to them. Give them something that will be paid back with interest. That's, uh, that's what lending is. Let someone borrow, especially a piece of money, and you get that amount back with interest. In other words, it's making an investment and gaining a return. Lend to someone, he says. Lend. Invest in others. And he tells us in these three verses, do these three things. Have agape love, be a benefactor to someone, lend to people, and do it to your enemies, not just your friends. Have agape for your enemy. Be beneficent to a charitable, kind, generous person to those who are your enemies. Lend, invest in your enemies. And Jesus says, if you just do that for your friends, what credit is that to you? Three times, if you do this for those who love you, what benefits that to you? If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? And that word benefit, benefit, credit, is just the same word in Greek. It's the same word in Greek. Now, it can mean different things in different contexts. And here, the ESV, and probably your translation, takes it in the sense of a prize, a gift. What prize, Jesus is saying, what prize do you deserve for loving the decent? Even the indecent love each other. So what? Victor Frankl perhaps was able to see a couple of prison guards be nice to each other. Maybe, he's, maybe he knew they were close friends and they loved each other. Even while they were torturing their prisoners. Sinners love each other. Who cares? So what? <laughs> Do you think those prison guards get any credit for that? That's easy. That's easy to do, he says. What prize do you think you deserve? What pat on the back? What recognition? What reward do you think is coming your way just because you love those who love you and you do good to those who are doing good to you and you lend to those who are always going to be able to pay you back? But this Greek word, it's also, it doesn't just mean prize or gift. It's actually the word for grace. Kadis in Greek. Grace. Like saving grace. Just the grace of God. It's the same word. So what Jesus possibly means, the undertone of what he's saying could be this. Jesus could be saying, what kind of grace is that? If you only give it to those who deserve it. Or those who reciprocate it. What credit do you get for that? And what kind of grace do you think that is? 
Do you think you're a gracious person, a generous person, just because you love those who love you? Now, he's not saying don't love those who love you. Love your enemies only. No, he's not, he's not saying stop loving those who love you back. Stop doing good to those who do good to you back. He's saying, yeah, that you should be doing that. But don't think you're doing something above and beyond and super special. Because indecent people can do that for each other. What kind of grace is it if you only give it to those who seem like they deserve it and not to those who certainly don't deserve it? Jesus calls us to a much, much higher, more divine kind of love today. He captures the essence of what this divine kind of love, this higher love is like in verse 35. So we move now to point two. Look at verse 35. He says, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Here in verse 35, Jesus summarizes what I'm calling a divine love ethics. Divine love ethics. Now remember last week, we said Jesus is not telling us, when he says love your enemy, he's not telling us how to feel about our enemies, but how to treat our enemies. Love is often accompanied by feelings. But even if the feelings aren't there, you can still love someone. Jesus is not telling us what our emotions ought to be towards our enemies, but our actions and our attitudes, our mindset, our wishes for them, what we do for our enemies, what we wish for our enemies. That's what Jesus is talking about. We do not hate them in our hearts. We don't, if they hate us, we don't hate them back. If they curse us, we don't curse them back. If they revile us, we don't revile them back. We just absorb it and we give them back something they don't, don't deserve and certainly don't expect. We do not hate them in our hearts and we do not hate them in our behavior, our words, and our actions. You are still expected, Christian, you are still expected to love even if your heart isn't in it yet. Pray that your heart catches up, yes, but in the meantime, love Anyways, now I'm calling it a divine love ethics and I have in mind here a parallel to what we often call a work ethic. We all know about work ethic and we all understand that a work ethic isn't a feeling. A work ethic is a set of values. It's a set of convictions and commitments. Someone with a high work ethic believes that work is, a, is valuable in itself. Work itself is valuable. And that hard work is a moral good. A person with a high work ethic is committed to working hard and being productive because these are moral goods that benefit both yourself and other people. And here Jesus is teaching us, in parallel with that idea of a work ethic, Jesus is teaching us a love ethic. And this is also a set of values and convictions and commitments. The person with a high love ethic will firmly believe that love is of the highest value in itself. 
that you will see that love is the greatest moral good, the center of true virtue. You will be committed to loving others and doing them good no matter what because this pleases God and will bring tremendous benefit both to you and to your neighbor, which ought to be your highest goals as a Christian, loving God and loving neighbor. This kind of love, this divine love ethic, this kind of love that Jesus calls us to, this higher love, is the magnetic force that moves the needle of your moral compass. Whatever direction love points in, whatever direction love points you towards in any given situation where you find yourself, that's the way you're supposed to go. That's the way Christ calls you to go. But we can get even more specific than this. As we look closer at Jesus' words in verse 35, I want to point out three things that Jesus tells us and summarizes in verse 35. And the first is the condition of this divine love ethic, the condition of this higher love. The condition. Look what he says in verse 35. He says, Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. What's the condition of this love? There's not one. It's actually unconditional. Because these are your enemies. You're not waiting for them to deserve it, live up to it. You're not waiting for them to do something for you that, okay, now I'll love them. Now I will lend. Now I'll do good. Now that you've done this towards me or for me. You don't wait for them to meet some condition for your love. You just give it freely, expecting nothing in return. In other words, Jesus says, Christian, disciple of mine, those of you who are listening, who are paying attention, do not base your love on the hope of reciprocity. Do not love with the motive of getting a return on your kindness. Do not love with strings attached to this love. In other words, Christians who practice this divine love ethic, the love of the kingdom, you are uninterested in ever hearing thank you or getting a compliment or being praised or being recognized or getting anything in return. You couldn't care less. I don't need that person to love me back. I don't need that person to say thank you, give me a compliment, pat me on the back, get me a card, reward me in some way. It's irrelevant. They might spit in my face and reject my love. That's fine. Because I'm not trying to get a response from you. I'm just trying to pour out love for free, unconditionally, the way Jesus told me to. And that's it. And when I've done that, I have done what Jesus wants. And how you respond is your business and up to you. It's not going to change how I feel. It's not going to change my true blessedness that I have because I don't need your approval or applause to feel secure and at peace and satisfied in Christ. Expecting nothing in return. Be free, Christian. Be free from that desire to be repaid in any form by the person you show love to. That's number one. The condition of love. There's not one. If that's a living, breathing, 
image bearer of God. That's all you need to know. Enemy, friend, family member, doesn't matter. Second, we've seen the condition. Second, what's the motivation? What's the motivation of this kind of love? How does Jesus stir you up to do this? What does he say in verse 35 that's supposed to propel you to even think this is <laughs> worth trying? <laughs> what does he say? What's the motivation? He says, love your enemies and do good and lend, those three expressions of love, expecting nothing in return, it's not conditional, and your reward will be great. Now wait a minute. You just said not to expect anything. And now you're telling us there's going to be a reward. To motivate us to not expect anything? I don't get it, Jesus. You're very confusing. How, what are we doing with this? And Jesus says, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Raise your hand next time. But yes, that's a good question. What does Jesus think? Your reward will be great. Who's the reward going to come from? Not your enemy. That's for sure. Now you, you might, uh, if you love those who love you, you're getting loved back. That's nice. If you do good to those who do good to you, you're getting good done back to you. That's good. Jesus is not saying that's bad or wrong. Stop doing that. He's saying keep doing that and add this other dimension of loving your enemy. You're not going to get a return from them or reward from them. So what's this reward? It has to be from, it has to be from God. This is God's reward to us. But what's that reward? I think Jesus is teaching us that love, because if we have a love ethic, we value love as a moral good and a valuable thing in and of itself. It's the heart and soul of our virtue as Christians. I believe Jesus is telling us here, love is its own reward. Becoming this kind of person who is like, that doesn't just do this on the surface level, but really is like this down in your heart. That that, being this kind of person, is the reward. Virtue is the only real moral good there is at the end of the day. And love is the heart of virtue. He says here, your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High or children of the Most High. Your prize, Christian, for loving like this is that you will be like God. It's true that God will reward us for our obedience. That's true. In the age to come, we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and there will be rewards and recognition for everything we do for the Lord. That's true. It won't earn us anything, but God just is pleased to reward the obedience of His people. That's coming. That reward is ours. Absolutely. And that's not something to, to treat lightly. That's definitely something to look forward to. But here, it's deeper than that. It's true that God's going to reward us for our obedience. But the best reward He can give us, the best reward He can give you, Christian, is to be like Him. And that's what godliness is. This is what God is like. And you need to be godly, godlike, godliness. Growing in love means growing in our family resemblance to our Heavenly Father. You look most like God when you love like 
God. That's your motivation. We've seen the condition. It's unconditional love. We've seen the motivation. Love, being like God, is its own virtue and its own reward and brings its own eternal satisfaction to be fully conformed into the image of our Heavenly Father. Now, number three, the pattern. The pattern of this divine love ethics. He says here at the end of verse 35, Expect nothing in return. Your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High because, for, He, the Most High, God, He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. The evil, the indecent, the wicked. That's our pattern. Jesus calls us to love like this because this is exactly how God loves. It's how he loves us. He is merciful. This word for he is kind is just so plenteous with depth of meaning. He is, it means all these things. He is merciful. He's kind. He's generous. He's good. He's compassionate. All that is packed into this wonderful Greek word. He is merciful and kind, generous and good, full of pity and compassion. To who? To the ungrateful, to those who spit it back in his face and couldn't care less, who live in this beautiful world on this glorious spring day and just feel revolted at the thought of being religious and being in a place like this. Who may deny God's existence or hate God because something went wrong in their life. Who just, or just aren't interested. Yeah, God's up there, sure, but who cares? It doesn't mean anything to me. Jesus died on the cross, sure, I believe that. Doesn't change a thing for me. Doesn't interest me. To the ungrateful who just couldn't care less. And to the wicked, there are evil people in our world and he's kind to them amazing he was kind to you (laughs) for all those years that you weren't a Christian he's kind to you now when you sin he's so full of this generous mercy that's the pattern that Jesus gives for us God is good and kind to the ungrateful and the evil, even to the wicked. And he does that every single hour of every single day. He just keeps on loving the world at all times, showering this rebellious land with his absolutely undeserved love. Even in the midst of his judgment upon our sin, his wrath in this world is always tempered with His mercy and softened with His grace. Because at the very bottom of His being, God is love. He doesn't just have love like we do sometimes, and it waxes and wanes and is stronger or less. He doesn't have love like us. The Bible says He just is love. That's what he is. (laughs) He's love all the way down. It's not some possession he has. It's his very nature. God is love. 
His very nature is generous mercy. And if we're called to be like Him, we are called to embody His generous mercy to the ungrateful, to the evil, to the enemy, to the offensive, to the indecent, not just to our friends. That brings us to the last point this morning. Last verse of the passage, verse 36. Jesus says, he concludes this paragraph, verse 36. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Jesus says, God has pity and mercy and compassion And we are called to embody the same. Be merciful like he is. The measure of God's mercy ought to be the standard of our mercy. Our mercy should be God's mercy. Now, Jesus says this as an imperative, right? He gives it as a command. And as this command lands on me, I don't know how you're feeling this morning. But as this command lands on me, I feel hopeless. I feel despair at such a command. Be merciful like God is. That's funny, Jesus. Have you met me? You want me to, you want me to embody the very love of God? Yeah. I'll, I'll get right on that. That doesn't seem possible. And it doesn't seem possible because it's not. (laughs) This is a command so high. This is an ethic so hard. No mortal could ever attain it. In fact, it's even worse in Matthew's version of the sermon. In Matthew's version, this command is worded this way. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Matthew 5.48. I'm done, Jesus. I thought I, I thought I would give it a try, but no, this isn't for me. I'm in the wrong line. Let me join another religion. This doesn't sound like my kind of thing. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Put these two together. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Be perfect as your Father is perfect. Have perfect mercy for your enemies and for all people, just like God does. This is an impossible command. And that's why this sermon needs two things to be said at the end of it. Jesus can't say everything that needs to be said all at one time. And that's why you always have to read the middle of the gospel in light of the end of the gospel. You have to let Calvary cast its long shadow back across the whole gospel and read Jesus' commands in the light of his cross. It's the only hope we have. Two things need to be said here as we, as we finish Jesus' teaching. First is this. God's love is nowhere more perfectly evident than in Jesus himself. He doesn't sit on high and rain down abstract moral commandments, good ethical theory, and leave it vague. He sends his son to do it for us right in front of us. 
to show us what it looks like. Jesus loved his God and loved his neighbor fully and perfectly, enemies included. In fact, he loved his enemies so fully and so perfectly, he went to the cross for them. He went to the cross for his enemies. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 5. Paul's just channeling Jesus here in Romans 5 and putting it in the context of the gospel. Romans 5, 5 through 10. Listen for the echoes of our passage this morning. Jesus, uh, Paul says, Hope does not put us to shame. Our hope in God does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love, God's very own love, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's good news this morning, Christian. God's not waiting for you to conjure up this love on your own. He takes his own love for his enemies, displayed in Christ, and he pours that into your heart today because he's given you the Holy Spirit. I'll keep going. Verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for the indecent. And listen to this. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Maybe if someone's good to me, good enough to me, I could die for them. Maybe if someone loved me so much, I could love them back and maybe even lay down my life for them. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps... For a good person, one would even dare to die. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood for all of our indecency and unlove, unloveliness, We have now been justified by his blood from all of our failures to keep this commandment and all the other ones. Much more now shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. God's love saves us from his wrath. That's that's part of the gospel. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. That love of God that he put on display in the life and faithfulness and death of Jesus for his enemies, that very love he takes and he pours it. He just, he dumps it out, buckets load of love into you by giving you the Holy Spirit. Filling you with the Holy Spirit. He's filling you with the very divine, eternal, infinite love that he himself is. It's the kind of love that lets you look like Jesus and love like Jesus. Even to your enemies. That's the first thing that needs to be said. This is gospel good news. The gospel purchased for you the Holy Spirit to be in you and to fill you with God's love. So that you can now start to be the kind of person Jesus calls us to be to love like he does. Second thing that needs to be said here, this command of Jesus is actually a disguised invitation. It's an invitation to participate in the divine nature. 
which is generous mercy itself. It is an invitation to participate in the very love of God. Jesus is calling you, Christian, to open yourself up to divine love and allow yourself to be a channel of that love. To let God's love flow through you, coursing out into the wide world of God's enemies and yours. This command is a call to unity with God. And it is a promise. It's a disguised, hidden promise of heaven's power to be like God in your own life. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful means join God and let Him fill you with His mercy so that it flows through you and you become a living, walking, breathing, loving image of your perfect Savior, Jesus. Today, Jesus is calling for a fresh commitment from each of you and from me. If you would follow Jesus, if you would be a citizen of His kingdom, if you would be a child of God, accept this invitation. Commit to this divine love ethic. Start dreaming and strategizing of ways you can go out of your way to bless your enemies and all your neighbors. To do good for those you dislike. To pray for the unlovely and the indecent. Pray that God would change your heart with His love and give you a fresh filling of His Holy Spirit. And finally, put your hope and trust entirely in the perfect love of the God of perfect love. Don't trust in yourself to conjure this up and do this on your own. Look to the cross where this kind of love is a blood-bought gift that's yours for the asking. Let this love cleanse you of your hatred. Let this love cleanse you of your bitterness and hard-heartedness and resistance and hesitancy. Let your only confidence, Christian, be in the saving love of God and the sacrifice of Jesus in your place and welcome that same sacrificial love into your own heart and make yourself an outlet of that love in all you do. And this will be your great reward, being like your heavenly Father, looking like the Lord Jesus, and knowing a God of perfect love who will never let you go. Let's pray. Father, we yearn for that great reward of being conformed more fully into the image of Christ, the embodiment of your perfect love. We long to be more like you. We long to have our own resistant and unloving hearts to be softened even more. We thank you for the, for the love you've already put into our hearts. We thank you for how far you've already brought us. Thank God we're not where we used to be. You are working on us. You are changing us. You are bringing us forward. You are making us new. You are always, always using all the means of grace you've given us 
to smooth out our rough edges and chisel us more and more into that perfect image to propel us forward and keep us faithful. We thank you that you're already doing that work and you've already done so much for each one of us. But today, oh Lord, we ask for more. We ask that you would open us up to truly be a channel of your love. Mold us into the kind of people who look like Jesus and love like Jesus and satisfy us that we are right in the center of your will when we are most walking in love. Help us to love even our enemies, to not retaliate, to not seek revenge, to not love on condition, to not love to get something back. Help us to have the right motives, to follow the right pattern that you set for us, to read back over this passage, maybe every day for, <laughs> for a while, and just work it down in our hearts. Drive us to our knees to pray, to be like this. Help us to lift each other up and encourage each other to keep going as we love one another as you have called us to do. All these things we plead for today and trust that you want to give them to us. Pour out your Holy Spirit afresh on this church and on each one of us and make us the images of Christ you've called us to be so that we can be true children of God. We ask it for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen.